They can take, yeah, that's great. Thank you. So yeah, like Susanna said, my name is Michaela, and I'm on staff at City Life Church in Kansas City. So greetings from Kansas City to Manhattan. So glad to be here today. My husband Marcel and I, we have been in Kansas City for over 18 years, and we were part of City Life before it was City Life. It started as just a little Bible study with some called to greatness students that had moved from KU to Kansas City. And that's actually where Marcella and I both got led to the Lord in our first year of marriage. Praise God, that was just his grace. And so we've been in Kansas City ever since we met at Iowa State. I was hoping Kate Hupp would be here so I could get a little cyclone love in the land of wildcats. But we met at Iowa State. We moved to Kansas City the year we got married in 2003. And we thought we'd be there just a few short years. We don't have family in the area. And so, like, let's just go get some real-life experience, and then we'll probably move. And here we are almost 19 years later, and we're still there. We love Kansas City we love serving the people in this state and in that city, and yeah, just, just so glad to be here. Unbelievably, this is my first Sunday being in Manhattan at Bluemont in all these years, so I'm so excited to be here. I've been excited ever since Ryan reached out to ask me to cover this Sunday. I'm just so glad to be with you guys. And we're going to continue on in the book of Acts. I know you guys have been going through Acts. We actually started in Acts just a few weeks ago at City Life as well. We're a little bit behind you. But even in the first few chapters, it's just been so fun to see these stories of the early church. And I think the book of Acts is one of those books, like the scripture says, all of scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, encouraging, rebuking. Like Acts is one of those books that will do all of that all the way through. I've been so convicted as we read the stories of these early church members, their faith, their boldness, how they saw what Jesus did and did the same thing. So we're going to see that again today. Maybe a familiar story. If you're familiar with this book or the Bible, we're going to look at the first Christian martyr outside of Jesus himself, St. Stephen. And we're going to look at the, the story of St. Stephen being martyred. So I think, I think we're going to get a lot out of it. I pray today that the boldness of Stephen would fall in this room. As I have been preparing for this message, that is what God has convicted my heart with, realizing I need a little bit of boldness, and I want it to fall in my heart, I want it to be authentic, and I want to stand in front of anyone, no matter who they are, just like we'll see that Stephen does, and profess the name of Jesus Christ above anything, no matter what threat I'm staring at. And so I hope that falls this morning, I trust that it will, because the Holy Spirit's here, and it's going to be good. So let me, let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. God, just how you really do pour out new mercies every morning. We're grateful to be alive this morning, to be breathing the breath that you gave us. We're thankful for, to be in fellowship with each other. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and counsel us with your word right now. God, that any, anything that we've brought in, that we would just check that at the door. We would lay that at your feet. And God, come and invade our imaginations, renew our minds this morning. And we're thankful that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so no slides. I'm going to try to direct you as best I can. If you want to get out your phones and your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, just a little bit in each chapter. 
And so go ahead and do that, because I think it might be a little bit easier to follow along. This morning, I, I stole the message series title from what we've been using at City Life, but I think it applies to this message. I've entitled this message, Unstoppable, because I think the book of Acts, as we see the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, what looked like defeat was actually victory. And as we move into this book of Acts, right as Jesus has ascended, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit falls, we see that this really is an unstoppable kingdom. And I don't know if you guys use this word. We use the word a lot in city life. I'm sure you guys do too, is this is an upside down kingdom, right? Because what looks like defeat is actually victory. What looks like a barrier that is stopping you is actually God's unstoppable force working all things for good. And so in this early church, we see amazing things happening. These leaders are taking the gospel as Pentecost falls. It says all nations were there. God is reclaiming the nations. He's restoring what happened at Babel in the book of Genesis where God scattered the nations. He scattered their languages or he confused their languages. And Pentecost comes and God restores that. All of a sudden they're hearing their language from people that shouldn't be speaking their language. A sign of great unity and restoration. And then the apostles go out and they're spreading the gospel. They're doing miracles And they're facing great opposition. And we're going to see that definitely today in Stephen's story. And and all throughout, like I said, even with the opposition, even with the hard things, it is unstoppable. And it's hard not to go back. After God confused languages and scattered the nations, he attached himself to one nation, the nation of Israel. And he said, you will be my people And you will bear my image, you will bear my name to the rest of the world. That's how this is going to happen. And through this people group, I will bring my son, I will bring the Savior that will eventually reclaim all nations, will reclaim the Gentiles. And so right as God attaches himself to the nation of Israel, they get moved to Egypt, at first a good thing, to be saved from famine. But then as they grow and grow and the leaders and the pharaohs change, they become intimidated and threatened by Israel, and so they enslave them. And there's this verse in Exodus that I think applies to this as God's now forming his new covenant and, and, and fulfilling the old. I think this verse from Exodus can apply in Acts too. And in Exodus, this is where the people are enslaved in Egypt, Egypt Exodus 1.12. It says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Okay, so the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And the same thing is true as we see that God starts his early church. It's like the more they do, the more opposition comes at them. The more the the kingdom of darkness is trying to stop it. But it's like the more the kingdom of darkness comes at them, the more God's kingdom becomes unstoppable. And so we see that that's that's a narrative all throughout Scripture. You can see that in the Old Testament as God attaches himself to Israel, and then we see that in the New Testament as God starts his new church, his new people group, the whole world. So let's go to chapter 6, 
and, and pick up where you guys have left off. So in this chapter, just to kind of recap, Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He tells his followers to wait in Jerusalem. That's their main instruction right after he ascended. And then the day of Pentecost comes, Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit falls. And so all these new believers, these new Christians are filled with God's Spirit so they can take the mission of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And they were all in Jerusalem for Pentecost, so there were Jews from every nation. All, you know, all the surrounding nations came, and then they're going back out. They're going to be scattered to spread the gospel. But before they completely scatter, they're doing a bunch in Jerusalem and the surrounding towns, and the gospel is spreading, signs and wonders are being performed, the church is growing. If you remember some of those numbers, thousands of people are coming to know Jesus and serve him and follow him as Lord. Okay, and now they're at a point, they're big, they're growing, and a lot is happening, and a lot of challenges come with growth a lot of administrative challenges. There's so many people now to manage and moving parts, and they have this ministry where they're feeding the poor within their community. They're feeding the widows and the orphans, and a lot of them are getting overlooked. And so the church needs some administrative help. Where's all my administrators in the room? All right? This, this chapter is for you. All right? Your gift. Your gift is going to be seen in this chapter 6 here. Stephen is one of those administrators. So the church elects some deacons to help oversee some of these tasks, some of these happenings within the church, maybe the unseen things that get done behind the doors. It's like the tech team. No one notices the tech team until something goes wrong. Tech team, we love you. You should be seen every Sunday, not just when something goes wrong. But it's stuff like that. It's the unseen hard work, the grind of the church. And so they elect some deacons to start taking care of some of these tasks, and Stephen is one of them. And the, the story's going to kind of zone in on this guy named Stephen in chapter 6. And so Stephen's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's helping with some of this grunt work, so to speak. He's preaching the gospel. Signs and wonders are, fo- are following him. He's filled with God's Spirit. And I want to read, this is what I would have had up on the screen, so I'll try to go a little bit slow. I want to read the descriptors in chapter 6 that describe Stephen, okay? So in in chapter 6, verse 3, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see this. It says, Stephen is full of the Spirit and wisdom. Okay, in verse 5, it says, Stephen is full of faith, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, full of God's grace and power. Are you, are you seeing a theme about Stephen? Verse 10, he spoke by the wisdom of the Spirit. Verse 15, his face was bright like an angel. This would have brought those early Jewish Christians back to the days of Moses, when Moses was leading his people group out of Egypt and to the promised land, Moses would go meet with God, and whenever he was in God's presence, he would come back down from the mountain, and his face would be glowing. It's a sign of God's presence with that person. And Stephen, it says his face was that of an angel. He must have had a glow about him. And so we see all these descriptors of Stephen. These descriptors would be 
any one of them would be wonderful descriptors to have if you were a follower of Jesus. This is what we all want said about our life. But I want to bring you back to Acts 4 just to remind you there's this great verse in Acts 4 where the opposition, everyone, really the religious establishment opposing these early Christians because they were so threatened by their message, they were threatened by the power that was being taken from them, they were also threatened because these early disciples were just ordinary people. We go back to verse 4. It says that was one of the things that most offended them, that these people spreading the gospel, and this was right after Peter and John had been arrested and then released, they were so offended at Peter and John because they were just ordinary, unschooled men. Like, how dare you? Who are you? You know, we are the religious elite, the most, the most educated people, really the ones that should have seen Jesus first for who he was because they had the most access to the scriptures. And so it's important to remember that. Stephen falls in this category of just ordinary people, just like you and me, serving an extraordinary God. And this this will bring us back to Pentecost, that it really is the Holy Spirit doing the work in Stephen's life. So none of these descriptors are really about the person of Stephen. It's about the person of Stephen being submitted to the one true God and being filled with his spirit and being aligned with him, abiding in him, obeying him. It it really has nothing to do with him. It is God at work in a surrendered life. Okay, so now that we've looked at, at Stephen, this man that fully represents the kingdom of God, what it means to bear God's image. Let's look at the descriptors in the same chapter of those opposing Stephen. So again, this would mostly be the religious elite, and they're they're called lots of things in the Bible, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the high priest. So all of these would have governed God's Jewish temple, They would have kind of been the gatekeepers of religious law and religious freedom in the Jewish culture. They would have had significant ties to Rome. So in the backdrop of this culture is an evil, evil Roman political life. I mean evil, a dictator at the helm. And so that would have been in the background as well. And so there's just a lot of corruption between the two trying to appease each other and keep their own status and power. Okay, and so let's, let's read the descriptors of those opposing this, this gospel message going forward and those opposing Stephen specifically in this chapter. In chapter 6, verse 9, it says they're argumentative. In verse 10... It says, they could not stand against Stephen's wisdom. Verse 11, it says, they were secretly persuasive and deceptive. In verse 12, it said, they stirred the people to anger. And in verse 13, it says, they produced false witness. And I think as we look at the comparison, the, you know, compare and contrast these descriptors, it's like as you are trying to renew your mind and see the world through the lens of Christ partnering with the Holy Spirit, 
these are helpful. It's like, what kingdom am I looking at right now? As I'm looking out, you know, in my relationships, in my life, in my city, in my state, in the government, in the world, in in political matters, in social matters, in cultural matters, what kingdom am I seeing right now? What fruit is being produced? And, And listen to these descriptors again. Argumentative. It could not stand against Stephen's wisdom. That's the thing about the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't make sense. There's not a lot of logic to it. Like one plus one really does equal two. Red is red, blue is blue, you know, that kind of stuff. Even outside the gospel, there is, there is true things. Secretly persuasive and deceptive. That's a tricky one, because when we're in deception, we don't know that we're deceived. That's why we have to have people in our life helping us see those things. Secretly persuasive and deceptive. That's a characteristic of the kingdom of darkness. Stirred people to anger. Okay, and and anger is not, anger comes from God. God made all of our emotions. It's okay to be angry. But think about the other things going with this. Secretly persuasive and deceptive false wisdom, they produce false witness, and it stirred the people to anger. Have we seen a little bit of that in our culture in the last 18 months? So I, I think it's just helpful to see some of these, these things as you are, are navigating life, because it can be confusing, right? It can be really confusing, like, God, is this, is this what I'm seeing, and this is what I'm navigating, and my you know, just even in your own small world, not even big cultural world. But help me see, God. So help me to see what's from you and what is not that I just need to dismiss and tell to get out of here. Okay, so as we look at these descriptors, I want us to think about this. The kingdom of God leads with proclamation. The kingdom of darkness leads with persecution. So if we think about what Stephen is doing, and, and we didn't read this full chapter, I'm just kind of describing him, but you know, he's proclaiming truth, and that's what's so offensive to his naysayers. The kingdom of God leads with proclamation. It's the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and truth. Just as Jesus was in the beginning. He was the word in the beginning. The word is what spoke everything into motion. It's our same words that have power, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how the kingdom of God leads, is with proclamation of the word of truth. And the kingdom of darkness, it leads with persecution. And persecution can be described it's this tornado of argumentative thinking, of false wisdom, of being secretly deceptive, producing false witness, tearing down people's character, tearing down truth. It's important to remember, as as we're talking about the two kingdoms, these descriptors of the kingdom of darkness can often feel like they're winning. You know, it's like you turn on the news for 30 minutes, and you're just like, ah. Like, is the kingdom of God really winning? Is it really advancing? And that's the thing we have to be in Scripture and keep our mind renewed, that the kingdom of God really is always on the offensive. 
It's never on the defensive. When, when Peter, in the Gospels, when he got revelation of Jesus, and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. And I think a lot of times we think those gates, that, that there are gates. We're on the def- defensive, like trying to keep everything out, and we're behind the gate. But the gates of hell, the gates are hell's. They are on the defensive, and the church is charging the gates. And there's no gate that can stop the kingdom of God. And so we always have to think of that and have our mind renewed in that, that we are actually on the offensive. I grew up in a basketball gym. My dad was a high school basketball coach. And so I grew up playing basketball. I love the game of basketball. It's still my favorite sport. When I was nine years old, I moved to Iowa And in Iowa, at that time, it's no longer this way, girls still played six-on-six basketball. Is anyone familiar with this? Okay. So it's it's really strange. If you're familiar with the game of basketball, you play five-on-five, and one one basket, you're on offense, and then you run back down, and then you're on defense. Well, when you play six-on-six, three three ladies would be the offensive ladies— And three ladies would be the defensive ladies. So you would just play one side of the court. And nobody wanted to play defense because sometimes you never touch the ball. So if you were on offense, okay, you you would be on your side of the court and the, the defenders would play defense. And then, like, let's say they made a basket. And then it made a basket. Then they would just switch sides. And so you would just take a rest. The six of you down here, the one team playing offense and the three girls playing defense, you would just wait, and the ball would go down to the next six. And then if you were on offense, you'd actually get to touch the ball. And, I mean, it was just, it was so slow. It was so boring. Okay, what makes basketball great? It's the fast breaks, right? It's like the open court. You had none of that in six on six. And so let's say the the team shot, and you were a defender, and you got the rebound. You would dribble up to half court, and then you'd pass it over to your offensive player. And then the offensive player, and and that's, that's all you played. You would either just play defense, or you would just play offense. And everybody wanted to play offense. Because literally, sometimes when you would be on defense, you would never touch the ball unless you got a rebound. And I think, I think that's sometimes what the kingdom of God, what we think. Like we cower back and we're just like, I guess I'll just wait till it's my turn to play defense. And maybe I'll get a steal. Maybe I'll get a rebound. Maybe I'll deflect something coming at me. But it's like, People, no, come on. We, the church, have to see that we are on the offensive all the time, all the time. We're never just sitting back waiting until the ball comes on this side of the court so we get to play a little bit. Oh, my gosh, it was the worst thing ever. I moved back to Nebraska in eighth grade, and I was so happy to be back playing five-on-five basketball. It's just so much more fun. Okay, so the kingdom of God is always on the offensive, even when our natural eyes, and we're going to continue on with Stephen's story, it doesn't look like Stephen is winning, okay? It, spoiler alert, if you know the story here, he's going to be martyred. It doesn't look like he is taking ground and on the offensive. That's why we have to see things from the spiritual realm of what's actually being accomplished as these threats and persecution come. So in chapter 7, okay, let, before we get there, so Stephen 
He's a deacon now. He's doing all these things. We just read all these amazing descriptors about Stephen, this wonderful man of faith. And the, the people opposing him, they have produced false witness. They have said that he's blaspheming God, that he, he thinks that the things of the temple and the ways of Moses, you know, that they should just be thrown out. So they're, they're just making stuff up, basically, in order to persecute and trap Stephen. And so in Acts chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest comes to Stephen, and he says, Are these charges true? And I want us to put ourselves in Stephen's shoes right now, because this is a really intimidating situation. Okay, the high priest... The, the people be- beside and behind the high priests that are opposing Stephen, this would have kind of been like standing in front of the Supreme Court. I mean, this is like the highest authority in Jewish culture. And everyone just culturally and naturally would have had a reverence and an awe for, for their title and position. And so Stephen, you know, face to face, and the high priest is saying, are these charges true? If you've ever been in a courtroom several over a decade ago, I got called to be on a jury duty. It's a five-week federal <laughs> drug trafficking case. It was crazy. But every day, I remember when the judge walked into the courtroom, I mean, there's just an automatic respect, even, even on the fifth week. You know, it ne- that never lost. It's, we just respected him, everyone in the room. It kind of went silent when he came in. You, know, you, just, you felt a little bit intimidated by his authority and his stature in that room. And the same thing, this, that's the same picture that we're, we're painting with Stephen here. And so it would have been easy for Stephen to just go silent or to ask for a lawyer or some sort of counsel, uh, maybe to backpedal a little, like, oh, you know, this is what I really meant. Um, just try to escape, <laughs> try to get out of this really uncomfortable, intimidating situation. These are the same people that killed his Lord. You know, like he, he knows this might not end well. In fact, it probably won't. He's just seen Peter and John be arrested for preaching the gospel. Okay, and so it's like this boldness that comes on him. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't, he doesn't stay silent. He doesn't ask for counsel. What he does instead is he launches into a sermon, like a full-on sermon, and he gets to truth. He gets to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what he does, he, if if you read, I would encourage you to read this this week, you know, meditate on this chapter 7 this week in your quiet time with the Lord, because he recounts the whole history of Israel. He, like, starts with Abraham. Like, the people, the leaders, the most educated people that know all of this, like, they know all of this intellectually, but he's going to show them, like, our history shows, the prophecy shows, like, you have murdered the Messiah. And so he starts with Abraham, and he goes all the way through Israel's history. You know, he gets gets to Joseph, how they get in Egypt to escape the famine. He gets to Moses, how Moses leads him out of the promised land, the passing of the, you know, passing in dry ground in the Red Sea that swallows up the Egyptian army, goes through them wandering in the wilderness, just the whole history. And he gets to this verse in, well, before I go to this verse, 
there was, there was a few things that I wanted to mention of Stephen, Stephen as he launches into this sermon, because I think it's so cool that he's living in answered prayers in this moment. Remember in Luke 12, Jesus talking to his disciples? He said this to his disciples, and like what a perfect moment that Stephen is living in this answered prayer that, that Jesus himself told them. It says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Like, those are Jesus' words. This is, that, this is exact moment, and there'll be many of these moments for followers of Jesus. There's still many of these moments today in our everyday lives. Don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And then in Acts 4.29, when, when Peter and John were released from prison, they, they were in prison for a short time for preaching the gospel, it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So, so their prayers, here's Stephen, he's living in the fruit of their prayers. Like, they didn't pray for safety, they didn't pray for, I mean, I would have prayed for that. I don't think it's wrong to pray for safety. But their first thought was to pray for boldness. And that is exactly what, St- like, this, the Holy Spirit has come on Stephen. It's like he doesn't have to think of what to say. The Holy Spirit is just speaking through him as he launches into this sermon. And he's living in that answered prayer of just complete boldness, that I fear God the most, <laughs> that I have reverence for him the most above any human authority or system. So as he launches into this sermon and he's, he's recounting Israel's history, there's this one verse that I think is, is so poignant to these people that are opposing him, that are so threatened by him. In Acts 7, verse 42, 41 through 42, actually, it says, that was the time they made an idol in the form of the calf. So, so he's recounting this part in Israel's history where they're wandering in the wilderness. Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments from God. And the people get really restless in their idleness. And in their idleness, they create an idol, just like sometimes we do. <laughs> okay, And so they make a golden calf, and they, they call that their god. That was the time they made an idol in the form of the calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. Again, that's in Acts 7, 41 through 42. That is such an important verse. It's an indictment on Stephen's audience. He's saying, hey, remember when our forefathers, our ancient brothers and sisters, when they made an idol and they made it with their hands and they actually empowered a false god, God gave them over to themselves. And God is about to give you over to yourselves. That that is the definition of God's wrath. When God gives us over (laughs) to our humanly desires. And who's, who's in the audience to hear all of this? We'll see at the end here. 
Saul is sitting there right by this high priest, like just waiting for Stephen's death. He cannot wait to kill Christians. He's so threatened by this message of the new covenant. Okay, but we know the story of Saul, that he eventually turns to Paul and writes most of the New Testament. We would esteem Paul, most of us, as like the Christian of all Christians, the Jesus follower of all Jesus followers. Okay, so as Saul's sitting there, he's hearing this, and Stephen is, is like giving this warning, like you are creating an idol out of something that God has never instituted. You've created a false God, and you've missed the real God. You've missed Yahweh himself in the flesh. You've actually murdered him. And Saul's there. It's like truth is being released. That's the thing. The kingdom of God, we are on the offensive. The kingdom of God leads with proclamation. Stephen is proclaiming here. Saul is hearing it. And even though this is not his moment of salvation, it's so interesting Paul, several years later, writes this book of Romans, and he basically says the same thing as Saul. So, mem- or, sorry, as Stephen. Remember, Stephen's saying, but God turned away and gave them over to their worship. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 1, 23 through 25. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than their creator. Isn't that so amazing that it's like Paul is echoing Stephen's words? You know, not verbatim, but it's the same message. It's the same message that worship the one true God because you are worshiping something, whether it's a golden calf or some whatever there's two kingdoms you worship something we are made to image something you are imaging what you worship and Stephen is trying to articulate this to the leaders he's trying to warn them and what love I mean what love to the people that are about ready to take your life he can feel it Their anger, I mean, the people are already stirred to anger. We saw that in chapter 6. But he is going right for the truth. He doesn't shy away from anything. I mean, what love for his audience to say, it's not too late. Repent. Follow this God that, you, you know, actually follow this God that you say that you're following. And then later on, Stephen keeps going in Acts 7, 51 through 52, it says, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. The kingdom of darkness keeps killing to think and thinking that's bringing them victory. But we remember, don't we see that the gates of hell will not prevail? So it's, it's like this charge to repentance, but it's also an indictment. Like what you thought you did that would stop this gospel 
in murdering Jesus and, and probably about to murder me, oh, you have no idea what that's going to unleash in the spiritual realm. The advancement that that will actually gain the kingdom of God. I mean, it's mysterious. I don't understand that. It's the upside-down kingdom. That what looks like a barrier or a wall, even death itself, that the kingdom of God is released through these hard, hard things in life and released exponentially. Said, and as we continue on, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I'm not really even sure what that means. Sounds scary, though. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Can you picture that? Where does the Bible usually say Jesus is, he's seated at the right hand of the Father? And that's usually what we read in the Bible. It says he's standing at the right hand of the Father. I just think this is an amazing image. He is this, this man that is so bold in speaking his truth. It's like Jesus has stood up. It's like, that is mine. That's my boy. That's my child. That is my image bearer. He is bearing my image to the fullest in this moment. And then it continues and says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. That was in Acts seven fifty nine through 60. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does that sound familiar? As Jesus is on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. So this is where we have to see from our spiritual eyes that as Stephen is being stoned, he, he is literally facing his physical death. That what is happening in the spiritual realm, the forgiveness he's releasing in that audience, I mean, man, you think about Saul sitting right there. Forgiveness will come on Saul. You guys will, I'm sure, read about that next week. It's the next chapter. Sorry to spoil that, but it's, it's awesome. But, but there, that's like a spiritual transaction right there as, as uh, Stephen is dying. He's releasing out forgiveness. God, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. I mean, you have to think that Saul is going to be the main benefactor from that prayer as he is about to radically encounter Jesus soon and have his life turned upside down. I think... This is the ultimate picture of bearing the image of Jesus. If, if Jesus is our Savior, he's our example of how to fully bear God's image on the earth. You know, Stephen is doing that in this moment. He is, he is kind of facing the ultimate thing, the ultimate lack of security physically anyway, and he's, he's facing death. And that might not be the call on all of our lives. Hopefully not. We don't need to go seek that out. 
But as I prayed in the beginning, I hope that boldness, that what, whatever does find us in our day-to-day lives, in the seasons of our lives, I mean, a lot of crazy things have happened in the last two years where it's like the church has to rise up in some boldness. We have the greatest message. We have the truth that the whole world needs. And so that boldness, however it looks. I was talking to a young Christian just the other week, and she, you know, she's a brand-new baby Christian. She's living in her, her mom's home with her sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew, and they're not believers. And a bold step for her that night, she's like, let's pray before we eat dinner. And they all looked at her like, what? Why would we do that? I mean, one of them said, why would we do that? I mean, that's a, that's a bold thing. Like, it could be as simple as that. It may not have, we may not have stones coming at us to crush our physical bodies, but all of that matters in the kingdom of God. Like, just those little steps of faith and boldness to say that my allegiance above anything is to the person of Jesus Christ. So whatever truth I need to speak, whether it's gospel truth or just truth, like I said, like one plus one equals two. We're not going to make that equal four. Like just speaking truth, not giving in to the deception and lies of the enemy's kingdom. Regardless of the consequences, truth spoken is truth heard. Someone's hearing that, just like Saul in this audience. Someone's hearing it. You may not see the results of anything, but someone is hearing. Truth spoken is truth heard. How will they hear if there's not a messenger? How beautiful are the swift feet that come and proclaim the good news of Christ. So truth spoken is truth heard. Truth spoken brings the applause of heaven Jesus is standing. Stephen saw him. He's standing at the right hand of the Father as Stephen is being stoned. Truth heard stifles the plans of the enemy. Okay, so let me read that. Truth spoken is truth heard. Truth spoken brings the applause of heaven. Truth heard stifles the plans of the enemy. So as people hear truth, we, ha- uh, we have to do that in faith because we may never see that in some people's lives. The truth that we speak to people, we may never see the result of that. I am fully trusting those that engage in this lifestyle of discipleship that are intentional with the lives of those around them to just be Jesus to them, to speak truth, to love them well. You guys know discipleship. You do it so well here. Okay, there I am so convinced that there is going to be a trail of people that you will see on the other side of eternity that you had no idea. Maybe that little thing you spoke. But I'm just fully convinced of that, that as we engage and give our lives to discipleship, as we get on the other side of eternity, it's just going to be, we're going to look back over our shoulder and the trail that our lives impacted because of the proclamation of truth no matter how big or small or how consequential or inconsequential, it's it's just going to be this beautiful trail. It's like it'll be a garden behind us of all these these 
souls that have planned, have grown up, have matured, and we got to play just a small part in that. Like, keep that vision. Keep an eternal vision over your life in the day-to-day grind as you seek to be bold and speak truth. And this is so cool. I'll end with this. In Chapter 8, it starts right, de- right away after Stephen is stoned. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so persecution breaks out. The apostles stay in Jerusalem, but what does everyone else do? They scatter. This is, God, this is God's plan, People have to scatter, and so the gospel goes out to reclaim all the nations, to bring the Gentiles into this new covenant. Without the scattering, if they just stay in Jerusalem, the gospel just stays in Jerusalem, right? And so as they scatter, God, using Stephen's martyrdom for his glory, persecution comes even heavier. People have to scatter. The gospel goes out to more places. That's, that is the offensive kingdom of God that it cannot be stopped. So the enemy can bring everything he wants at us. And I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm not saying that it's not scary. Okay, I'm not, I'm not asking us to not like, live in reality and just like, la, 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 my head is in the clouds, everything's great. No, it, it's not always great. But you have to renew your mind and, and say, even though it's not great, I know I'm on the offensive because I have the spirit of the living God inside of me. I've got the greatest message ever to be told. I've got truth. I know the truth. I stand on the truth. My life is built on the truth. I am on the offensive. So with that, I'm just going to pray for us. Um, you guys are awesome. I know this, this is a hard season. Hut family, I love you guys. We have been praying for you in, in Kansas City. I have been so blessed Speaking of Acts and the stories we see of the early church surrounding each other, you guys have surrounded this family so well. The stories that I've heard, the food you've brought them, the love that you've extended them, it's just amazing. What a picture of Christian living and Christian community. And I know God's going to pour out even more, (laughs) even more favor in this next season. You know, hard seasons... I don't want to sound trite, but God works all things for good, and he really does bring beauty from the ashes, right? I mean, that, that's the offensive, victorious living. And so I bless you guys with that this morning. You guys are amazing, faith-filled servants, followers of Jesus, lovers of his kingdom. You guys are awesome. So God, I just release a blessing over this room. I thank you for this community. What an amazing community that you have assembled, full of men and women who want to bear your image to the fullest. God, I pray you'd pour out your grace. God, you you tell us that you give us measures of faith. I say a new measure of faith fall on Bluemont Church today. God, that they would rise up in a boldness, they would rise up in a confidence to see what you're doing in Manhattan, Kansas, to see what you're doing in their individual lives and their families. God, I bless the families in this room raising children. 
God, give them grace to steward these image bearers. God, I bless the campus ministry here as as they're on a little bit of a break over summer. God, I just pray that fall comes and there's such an excitement and a buzz and an energy. And God, the momentum would be supernatural, that they would step into a momentum with called to greatness here in in K-State like they've never stepped into before. It'd be like they're just joining this rapid waterfall and they just go with it. God, we thank you for the students' lives that will be changed. God, and I thank you for this community that, that loves you, that wants to journey in this amazing adventure called discipleship. Give them wisdom. Give them rest. Give them favor. Give them those right words that we read about today that your Holy Spirit would use them to speak through them. Pour out your blessing, God. We just are so grateful for Bluemont Church. We bless you, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.